This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The father of a Langley teenager who died after hanging out at a skateboard park on Wednesday night is painting a disturbing picture of what really happened, backed up by highly unsettling video of the events. He says his son just wanted to fit in and was goaded into taking drugs. Ramina Dea spoke with the father today and joins us live from the growing memorial to the 14-year-old. And Ramina, first a warning. The video is very hard to watch, but he feels it's important to mm -hmm. show it. Extremely disturbing video, Chris, but Aaron Kremeni wants the public to see it. This grieving father tonight, he's struggling to understand how someone's first instinct would be to hit send and post a video so disturbing online instead of calling 911. They knew he was dying. He was dying right in front of their eyes, and they just filmed it. They filmed it, and they Snapchatted it, and nobody called for help. <laughs> you can hear people laughing in the background. 14-year-old Carson Kremeni's grieving father wants the public to see how his son was treated before he died. The teen appears to be in distress. Police believe Carson died of a drug overdose. What did you say your name was? The disturbing video posted online before anyone called 911. One person, one person, even as... Even if you weren't there, even if it was somebody that was being Snapchatted and sitting at home, you could phone 911 anonymously and just say, hey, there's a kid in trouble and he's here, you know, go help him. If somebody had called 911, they might have been able to save him. We don't know what Carson ingested, how much, or who may have given him the drugs. An autopsy is expected Tuesday. Aaron Kremeni says his son was found in a ditch, alone near the baseball field close to the skate park. He was barely breathing. The teens who discovered him called police, but it was too late. Yeah, they, there needs to be charges. These kids need to be held accountable. The video evidence, strong. Charges, a possibility, says this criminal lawyer. If they can identify uh, who these, these uh, teenagers are, certainly there's... Uh, the beginning of an investigation that could lead to charges of criminal negligence causing death. Aaron says his son did not use hard drugs. He had ADHD, some trouble in school, but he was a good kid who just wanted to belong. He thought they were his friends. He called them his friends. <laughs> he trusted them. Oh, it's tough to watch. So, Ramina, there are a lot of people no. out there, presumably, who have information about this tragedy. How can they get in touch with police? 
we, we don't have a, an update today, Chris, from the Langley RCMP. The last we heard from them is from yesterday, so we don't know how this investigation is progressing. But we do know that police are taking this extremely seriously to the point where they have set up a dedicated tip line for this case. It's being monitored 24-7. The number is 604-532-3398. Again, 604-532-3398. Now, Aaron Kremeni is saying, please, don't be a coward. If you know anything about his son's death, please come forward. Chris. Let's hope someone does. Ramina Dea reporting in Langley for us tonight. Thank you, Ramina. A Surrey teenager has been arrested along with two other men after a violent altercation with Vancouver police caught on camera. This all happened Thursday at East Hastings near Maine. Police say they were trying to arrest a 17-year-old for the possession of a large machete and bear spray when an angry crowd gathered around them and someone threw a bottle at the officers. In the end, the 17-year-old and a 20-year-old, also a 34-year-old, were all arrested and a number of weapons seized. The suspects are facing a series of drug and weapons charges. We need to get control of that, and it's the second uh, person that threw a water bottle at an officer's head shows his intent, uh, shows uh, that this is a volatile situation. You have other onlookers that are yelling profanities at the police officers, uh, and they need to get these weapons uh, before they harm other people or the police officers. Crews are contending with yet another major fire at a recycling facility, this time in Richmond. It broke out just after 3 o'clock this afternoon at J&A Auto Recycling on Mitchell Island. The two-story building fully engulfed in flames. The city of Richmond says the fire appears to have started in a car in the auto shop. The flames spread into the building, including the offices. No one was hurt, and the fire was contained to the recycling facility, which, of course, was heavily damaged. Now to a disturbing story we first told you about last night. A five-day-old calf shot by a crossbow and then stabbed to death after intruders broke into a Langley dairy farm. As Jennifer Palmer tells us, it's left everyone in the area on edge. We know there's three arrows in it at this point. Brian Anderson is trying to understand why two suspects would want to kill a five-day-old Holstein calf and steal it. It was very shocking that morning to us. It was a gut-wrenching feeling right from the start. On August 1st, around 4.45 in the morning, a vehicle entered the Eagle Acres dairy farm. Come on. Surveillance video used to monitor calving season caught two suspects on tape, a male and a female. The male looks at older calves, weighing hundreds of pounds before settling on the lighter calf. The weapon of choice, a crossbow. We noticed the first arrow hit the calf and it flinched and then got up and walked slowly to a different area of the pen and then the shooter took a, a different vantage point and made another shot. Uh, unfortunately, the calf uh, you know, suffered for a little bit extra. Between five and six arrows, about 12 to 14 inches long, were shot. In the end, the suspect takes an arrow and stabs the calf 15 times. The motive remains unknown. It might be used for food. It might be used for ceremony. We have no reason to know what it went for. The BC Dairy Association is baffled by the incident. I would call this a, a bizarre, isolated incident that certainly gets your attention about how much can you do on each particular farm against something like this eventuality, which I really hope is a one-off. The Anderson family says they're considering better security now, but that it's hard to decide what to do since they're an all-access farm.
we have the doors open at this time of year uh, because they need fresh air just like we do. The calf was dragged into a luxury vehicle. The RCMP are investigating, but were not available for comment. The Andersons described the male and female suspects as possibly Asian. They left behind two arrows as evidence. Jennifer Palma, Global News. While RCMP and victims' families await the results of the autopsies on two bodies believed to be teen fugitives, Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod, search teams are back on the riverbank looking for more evidence. The idea is just to see if there's anything that might have been missed on the initial search. Today, six officers were combing the brush near Gillum, taking a closer look at the areas where the pair's stolen, burned-out vehicle was found, as well as the area along the Nelson River where the remains were discovered. As far as evidence goes, uh, we found a item. Whether or not it's relevant to the investigation, uh, the investigators will look at it and determine if, it's, uh, if there's a relevance. Tragedy for a B.C. family involved in a serious crash east of Calgary that killed one of their children. It happened near Oyen, Alberta on Wednesday. A semi-trailer truck slammed into the back of an SUV stopped in a construction zone. RCMP say an 11-year-old boy died at the scene. His parents and two young siblings were airlifted to Calgary hospitals, all in serious condition. Friends have identified them as the Jeffreys. They were driving across country relocating from Vancouver to St. Catharines, Ontario. A GoFundMe campaign has been set up to help them. So far, it's raised close to $35,000. You can go to our website, globalnews.ca slash bc, for the link to the page. Crews battling the Eagle Bluff wildfire near Oliver are preparing for some stormy weather that could make their job much more challenging tonight. Our Nitu Garcha is near Oliver this evening, and Nitu crews have been focused on preserving as much property in that area as possible today. They have Chris and structural protection teams from throughout the Okanagan are now on Asuyas Indian band land and they're ready to jump into action at any given moment if they need to, especially with winds already having picked up, moving that nearly 2,300 hectare blaze behind me north towards Okanagan Falls. BC Wildfire Service crews prepare to protect properties on Asuyas Indian band land in case the blaze that's been moving away from this community changes course. Pine cones were flying off like little grenade balls. Like you could actually see little shoots and then it would just go and a tree would blow up. Tense moments for local winemaker and OIB council member Justin Hall earlier this week when the flames came too close for comfort to his home. I brought up spring burning. I don't want to talk about it. It's time for somebody to do something about it because these will continue to happen. And once they happen, they're out of control. The fire actually started off the reserve and then, and then came on the reserve. With a storm packing erratic winds and possible lightning, many are keeping a close eye on the Eagle Bluff wildfire. The fire season does affect the tourist industry here. It affects our vineyards and, and potentially the, the winemaking and most things that, that the CC New Band does. That plane that's going this way right now, watch, she's going to drop some water. Longtime resident and acting mayor Amy Grice and her kids are watching water drops on the wildfire as more than 250 properties remain on evacuation alert. It's kind of just a wait and see situation, but Oliver is prepared. Our emergency social services are, are ready to go. We've got a center plan. We've got our volunteers. They're trained. They're ready to go. So it's different than the situation we had a few years ago where it was a little bit of a scramble. The BC Wildfire.
wildfire service conducting planned ignitions with the goal of burning off fuels between the blaze and the community. And they've ramped up resources. About 200 wildfire personnel are on the ground with heavy equipment and several local fire departments. Looking at the long haul, this could be a fire that could be a number of weeks in the making until it is fully under control. We're confident that if we're able to get through the next couple of days with the wind that we'll be able to, you know, at least be in a better state than we've been in the last five days. Yeah, Nitu, it's been extremely hot in that area. Temperatures nearing 40 degrees. How are firefighters managing up there? Well, Chris, we were driving behind a provincial forestry truck today that was handing out cases and cases of water to crews working. The BC Wildfire Service says it has been incredibly difficult conditions up there on the mountainside. But with less wildfires overall this season, they've had the ability to bring in more crews to ensure their workload is manageable as they continue trying to limit the growth of this still out of control wildfire. Back to you. All right. We wish them the best in that fight. Need to. Thanks very much for that report in Oliver tonight. Now, an experienced hiker attempting a difficult backcountry quest has been saved by Coquitlam's search and rescue crews. The man was trying to raft and hike his way from Elfin Lakes near Squamish all the way to Pitt Lake. After about a week of trekking, he ran into trouble after hunkering down for a day. He finally set off his emergency beacon so search crews could track him down. I relied on Google Earth on my phone, uh, which worked for four days. I was offline, of course, because I was out in the mountains, and I guess it was causing some problems. And one morning I turned it on, and it wouldn't work anymore. And my uh, low-tech backups, my maps, well, I guess probably not detailed enough to get me through some treacherous spots of the rivers. I can't believe how quickly uh, they came. You know, I, I press the button, and, and a couple hours later they show up in the, in the helicopter, and, and here everybody is waiting for me. Right now, though, a liberal MLA says the existence of an already thriving underground ride-hailing industry in Metro Vancouver is a flashpoint. He says it raises further questions about the necessity for a Class 4 license. And as Paul Johnson reports, the calls to quash that regulation are getting louder. Hey, ni hao, ni hao, ni hao. Watch here as a car dispatched from an allegedly illegal ride-hailing company in Richmond stops and then declines to pick up a global news reporter. The drivers at the company who is running the app uh, asked them not to take any Westerner. The existence of underground ride-hailing companies in B.C. became another issue Friday in Victoria's long-in-the-coming plan to formally allow ride-hailing in the province. The clear sign that the market has gotten ahead of policymakers is the Asian ride-hailing that has been operating illegally here in the Lower Mainland, particularly in Richmond. Liberal MLA Jazz Johal says he's heard from some of the black market operators who've told him the sector now earns in the tens of millions per year and employs thousands of drivers. Reasons, he says, for the NDP government to face the reality on ride-sharing and drop the requirement for drivers to get a Class 4 license. Class 4 licensing is being introduced for one simple reason, politics. But the Ministry of Transportation told Global News it's not about politics, but safety. That the higher requirements of a Class 4 that include doing regular vehicle inspections and getting a medical test are a reasonable expectation for people who would drive others for money. But the government's plan seems to have touched a nerve with many ride-hailing supporters. Good luck. On Friday, a group called Stranded BC collected signatures for a petition to drop the Class 4 requirement. 
Vancouver tech entrepreneur Hossein Maliki says Victoria's lukewarm enthusiasm for ride-sharing is holding BC back. Tech companies like mine have a hard time recruiting good talent. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A shocking story is emerging out of Victoria tonight where a young immigrant from Mexico claims he was accosted by a man posing as an immigration official while he busked on a downtown street. Kylie Stanton explains what happened and why the experience left him terrified. Just a few notes draws a crowd. Fernando Garci Crespo Santalo has gotten used to being the center of attention. I really love it. But on Thursday, it was for all of the wrong reasons. I think it was the accent or it was me singing Spanish. The 20-year-old Mexican expat was performing a song in his native tongue when a man approached and began demanding to see his immigration papers. It was an old white man who came and asked me, you know, like, uh, show me your papers and show me your immigration papers and show me your, 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 uh, your license because there's a lot of illegal uh, immigrants here that take jobs away from good Canadians and that's really wrong. He continued to pressure the performer, saying he was an off-duty immigration officer. When Garci Crespo Santalo asked for proof, the man started reaching into his bag. That's when terror set in. I was particularly paranoid because of El Paso shooting. I wanted the situation to end. He told him he would show him his license, and after some more heated words, the man took off, leaving Garci Crespo Santalo rattled. It's something that people should know, because people often don't think this happens here. And so he posted about the experience on his Facebook page. Overnight, it received a ton of attention, along with an outpouring of support. And I saw that one of my favorite MLAs, uh, Bowen Ma, had shared it. It is appalling what has happened to Fernando. What's happening is it's a symptom of what's become a growing threat to the proud Canadian identity of multiculturalism. Garci Crespo Santalo hasn't reported the incident to police and doesn't plan on it. He's just hoping the experience will serve as a reminder. Canada is not immune to racism and it's time to fight back. We need to be courageous and we need to be loving and we need to be optimistic. Uh, but we also need to be outraged when it's needed. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. In light of the latest mass shootings in the U.S., Amnesty International has issued a travel warning saying people in the United States cannot reasonably expect to be free from harm. Meantime, Ottawa is following the lead of the U.S. and two dozen other countries and regions, saying Hong Kong isn't safe either and issuing a travel advisory. Canadians planning to visit Hong Kong are urged to exercise caution. The federal government website warns there are safety and security concerns that could change on short notice. Ongoing and escalating protests in Hong Kong have been sparked by proposed extradition legislation. Pro-democracy protesters are sending a message to the country's airport today in a demonstration expected to last throughout the weekend. The Komagata Maru incident is considered one of the most shameful events in B.C. immigration history. A ship full of immigrants turned away from our shores in what turned out to be a fatal voyage for many of them. What many people don't know is one of the men responsible for it has his name on a federal building in Vancouver. It's a story Squire Barnes first broke a couple of years ago. And thanks to his reporting, Harry Stevens' name is now being removed. 
The name of Harry Stevens on this federal government building stayed under the radar for a long time, mainly because it was only displayed in the parking lot and on a small plaque in the lobby. And reading the inscription only told you he was a longtime politician. It failed to mention his significant role in the Komagata Maru incident of 1914. Because of Harry Stevens' decision, the Kamagata Maru sent back to India forcefully under the shadow of a military ship. This is a very significant um, uh, event because it also shows how far we have come as a country. As a member of parliament, Harry Stevens used his power to make sure most of the passengers on the Kamagata Maru were not allowed into Canada. Ironically, his detailed records of his deeds during that time have allowed historians to get a clearer picture of what happened. A man who was such a racist, who had that power because he was elected to enact his racist beliefs. As a community and as scholars, we are dependent on his record to tell this really important story. Another part of the story is now depicted on a mural on what is no longer the Harry Stevens building when indigenous people brought food and water to the Kamagatamaru passengers as they waited in the harbor for two months before being sent back to India. And if it were not for the compassion of the local Coast Salish people who came to the ship by canoe, bringing food and water, this tragedy would have been even more horrific. Thanks to the efforts of the Kamagatamaru Society, this seminal moment will not be forgotten, with various memorials and reminders, and one more would be to eventually rename this building Komagata Maru. This is the first step, and that's the second step. I will be uh, remind uh, uh, Honorable Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to rename this building on the Komagata Maru way. We will really appreciate that. With some rain in the forecast, it's certainly worthwhile getting out this evening while it's dry and in a lot of places sunny now. Meteorologist Devon Shell is at the Shipyards Night Market in North Vancouver. Really the perfect spot on a Friday night, isn't it, Yvonne? Yes, absolutely. We've got the water in the background. The crowds are starting to fill in. There's a f uh, food trucks, lots of live entertainment, and lots of things to check out. So perfect thing to do on a Friday night. I'm joined by Magda. You're at the City of North Vancouver. Now in its ninth year, what's new here at the market? Uh, well, at the water park, the city is thrilled to have recently opened the latest water park feature. Um, it's a beautiful setting. It's open seven days a week for families to enjoy from uh, 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. Paired with the uh, events in the area, such as the Shipyards Night Market, it has over 100 artisans, 40 food trucks, free entertainment, um, and a beautiful setting. This community hub is, you know, there's something for everyone here to experience and indulge and take in. And if you're planning on coming down, sea bus is another option, but you can also bike. You can also bike. We have the bike valley. The Spirit Trail connects the site. Um, for those that are driving, there is a parkade, underground parkade. There's also the sea bus is only a 15-minute cruise from downtown. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. We'll have more on the market. And as course, your weekend forecast, we are anticipating some wet weather. I'll have the timeline coming up very shortly. Chris? Sounds good, Yvonne. We'll check. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level 
today. That's shopify.com slash system. Back in a little later. He's taken our lives. Residents of Jasper County, South Carolina, fuming at the owner of a contracting facility where a huge pile of trash nearly 20 meters tall is igniting health and safety concerns. The garbage is making locals sick to their stomachs. The stench and constant fires even forcing some of them out of their homes. Officials have issued an emergency order to stop any more trucks or debris from coming in and adding to the pile. Sensors will also be installed to monitor pollution levels there. New fears in the U.S. after this week's massive immigration crackdown. ICE officials defending the arrest of almost 700 undocumented workers in a move that separated children from their parents. President Trump says the raids will serve as a deterrent, but families are understandably on edge. Today, we saw the aftermath of the ice raids in Mississippi. Children begging to see their parents. My dad didn't do nothing. He's not a criminal. 11-year-old Magdalena Gomez Gregorio was reunited with her dad today. Christina Persalta is the godmother of two boys whose mother was detained. He said he just wants his mom back. Nearly 300 were released from custody with notices to appear in court. But tonight, CBS has learned ICE didn't notify local school districts or Child Protective Services prior to the raids, leaving schools scrambling to make sure students had a place to go after classes ended. There's not really a way to to plan for this. Tony McGee is the superintendent of Scott County School District in Forest, Mississippi, near the Coke Foods chicken processing plant in Morton. It's kind of uncharted ground for us and uncharted waters. When pressed by CBS News, immigration officials couldn't say for sure whether any of the nearly 400 people still in custody are single parents who have no one to take care of their children. Today, there was an uptick in absences of Latino and Hispanic students from class, which McGee attributes to fear of going out after the raids. And, you know, people become... I'm scared, become nervous, and so our job is to calm fears right now. During the raids, ICE agents encountered 18 juveniles working at the sites. The youngest was 14 years of age. Officials tell CBS News that all the juveniles have now been released. Aaron Moriarty in Rainey, Morton, Mississippi. In Health Matters tonight, proof of the amazing potential of stem cell treatment for patients with rare blood cancer. A B.C. woman is celebrating 10 years since doctors first transplanted stem cells in a desperate attempt to save her life. And today, she's sharing the joy with the man who gave her that precious gift. Of course, when we're together, we're always laughing. (laughs) Over the last seven years, Luba Banuk and Steve have shared many moments like this, smiling, reminiscing about the past. Great. (laughs) Sorry, Before 2009, these two were complete strangers. Banuk was in Vancouver General Hospital battling cancer. He pretty much said to me, you are stage four T-cell lymphoma. We can't really do anything for you. Initially, doctors gave her five years, but hope was fading fast. Her only chance of survival was to find a matching stem cell donor. And even then, she only had a 20% chance of surviving. Banuk's daughter pleaded with her mom to give it a shot. She said to me, have to do it for me, (laughs) which I did. And that's how they started to look for a donor. 
She never thought they'd find Steve. The American Air Force pilot added his name to the donor bank during a stem cell drive with the military back in 2006. I remember holding the stem cell bag and, and saying a small prayer over it, and then they're like, all right, we got to go. And they put it in an igloo, and it was gone. Does this come from the old country? The pair first met in 2012, three years after the transplant, with Manuk's recovery defying all the odds. Turns out they're a 98% match, sharing the same ancestry and now even the same blood type. They're sharing their story with the hope more people, particularly men ages 17 to 35, will give the gift of hope. It cost four hours out of my day, one day, and Lou has been alive for 10 years since then. It's a pretty good return on investment. It's giving hope, it's giving life, it's giving, it's giving a gift to so many people that love me. Um, it's, um, it's unmeasurable. Nadia Stork, Global News. Incredible speed, skill, and agility at the Rogers Cup. And we're not even talking about the tennis players. What it takes to be a top-notch ball kid right after the forecast. With Yvonne Schell, who's over on the North Shore in North Vancouver. What a great spot to be on a beautiful night, Yvonne. Absolutely, and I'm just in front of the new water park that they have here. We've got music in the background by the Millennials on the live stage, food truck, and lots of entertainment. Get your weekend forecast. It's very important because we are tracking some wet weather and active weather for the interior. A look at the tower cam shot, and we can see English Bay this evening. We managed to squeeze out a few breaks. Temperatures are sitting at 19 degrees, and it was cooler today with many spots into the low 20s. We've got our We Love Water campaign with tips on how to save water. Turning off the tap when brushing for two minutes is our question. Twice a day can save how much water a month? 200, 450, 700, and a th or 1,000 litres will have the answer coming up at the end of the forecast. Cooler today, even for the interior, Kelowna just bumping up to 17. We still have the risk of thunderstorms for the northeast, southeastern areas and the southern interior. Instability there will kick up once again tomorrow and there is cloud cover and a chance of showers across the south coast beginning in the morning and we'll see that through the day tomorrow and the risk of thunderstorms will pop up for the southern half of the province in the interior late in the day. Here's a quick glance at what we're looking at for the northern half of the province. We still do have the fire danger rating for the southern half at high to extreme. The north will see a few showers. The central interior, it's drier with sunshine. The southern interior, risk of thunderstorms. High still getting up to 31 degrees for areas near Kamloops. South coast will see that cloud cover and a chance of showers. And most areas across Metro Vancouver, it's unsettled for both days as we approach the weekend. It looks like my graphic may be frozen, but we are just going to quickly give you the answer to our We Love Water question which was, we saw it, we saw it, okay, good, which was 700 liters. All right, we'll throw it back to you, Chris. <laughs> right, sounds good. They're going through a lot of that water out there in the water park, but boy, is it ever fun. Thanks, Yvonne. Have a great weekend. While players at the Rogers Cup may get to rest between matches, the unsung heroes of the prestigious tennis tournament are always on the go. And Global's Mike Arsenault got a first-hand look at what it takes to be a ball kid. They spend more time on a tennis court than the players, but there's no chance to sit down or to get some shade during a changeover. For the Rogers Cup ball kids, there's always work to be done. They manage all of the players' on-court essentials throughout the match, picking up the balls and distributing them as well as towels, additional water, supplies, or a racket restring. We take care of that as well throughout the match. 
The current crop of ball kids realize how fortunate they are to interact with the best tennis players in the world. Being on court with the players is just a big thing. You're like, you get the best seat to watch the match. But that doesn't mean the job doesn't have its challenges. It's definitely exhausting to do it. You sometimes have four matches back to back. They could be three setters. It's just physically tiring. Tennis Canada holds tryouts every spring for potential ball kids. There are certain qualities that are non-negotiable. Passion is huge. With passion comes hustle and desire. Harder skills such as throwing, catching, we can train those, we can teach those, but kids who really want to be here and love being on court really makes a great ball kid. The age cutoff for the ball kid program is 19, but Tennis Canada has given me special dispensation to be a ball man in an actual match today. And showing me the ropes will be 12-year-old Julia. Now, Julia, this is kind of like that episode of Seinfeld when Kramer was a ball boy at the U.S. Open. What's Seinfeld? It started off easy enough. It was stressful being so close to the players. I started to get the hang of it. My hand-eye coordination came in handy. Julia, how, how am I doing so far? How am I doing? Okay. My baseball career proved useful, while Julia kept me on track. What's that? Take the balls from me. Thank you, Julia. You're taking me? Yeah, so, so I just go straight out? Okay, thanks. It was a lot of fun, but I better leave things to these young professionals. Mike Arsenault, Global News. Get a chance to... Cheer on some BC Little Leaguers tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to start pure with the young nice. kids, right? They haven't, haven't been making the big money. Not, not yet. All right, thanks, Chris. BC teams have won 13 of the last 14 titles at the Canadian Little League Championships, and the Coquitlam Athletics will have a chance to add another to that win total tomorrow. Coquitlam advanced to Saturday's final after beating Ontario 8-5 today, and we've got highlights. Championships taking place in Ancaster, Ontario. These Coquitlam Athletics believe that they're going to win this thing. And down 3-1 in the third, but Kenoa Brankovic goes the other way to a right field. Off the fielder's glove, two runs come around to score, tied up 3-3. And then in the fourth, ace slugger Matt Shanley with a monster three-run homer to left center. That is way out of there. 6-4 Coquitlam in front. And then you need defense. Defense wins championships. Bases loaded, nobody out, but a great play by the shortstop. Timmy Piazzantine snares the liner, steps on second for the double play. BC wins 8-5. They'll play Quebec for the championship tomorrow. The Whitecaps added another Canadian to their roster today, signing veteran Toussaint Ricketts for the remainder of the season. Ricketts is 32 years old, has played 59 games for our national team, and was with Toronto FC for three seasons from 2016 to 18. He won't play tomorrow in Portland, but the rest of the Caps will be there trying to build on their 2-1 win last week in Cincinnati. We want to build. We want to keep building. Four points in two games is a good kind of return from, from that tough spell. Um, and we look to, to just keep driving on. I don't think it really matters kind of who's up next. It's kind of that mentality of let's, let's just keep on going, keep this rolling and, and find as many points as possible. So, um, you know, obviously guys are excited coming back after a win.
English Premiership kicked off today. Last season's runners-up, Liverpool, with a goal from Mo Salah, easily beat Norwich City 4-1. Rogers Cup from Toronto, women's quarterfinals. Hometown girl Bianca Andreescu taking on world number three Carolina Pliskova of the Czech Republic. Andreescu comes out with purpose. Backhand return winner broke Pliskova to go up one love. Now three love. Andreescu with the forehand winner from the baseline. Four love. Pliskova has one of the best serves in women's tennis, but Andreescu ate her up in the first set. Another winner here. Down the line, third straight break of serve. Five love, and then Andreescu completes her perfect first set with yet another big winner. Six love, the bagel in just 23 minutes, but the second set was a different story. Pliskova got an early break and then seemingly couldn't miss. Backhand winner, she goes up for love. It's feast or famine for the young Canadian. Meanwhile, Andreski calls for a trainer. A groin strain flares up, took a medical timeout. Pliskova took that second set, but in the third, despite playing through pain, Andreescu keeps battling. She always does. Forehand winner. And then, after a break, she gets match point and the big serve. And the 19-year-old from Toronto is into the semis of the Rogers Cup. First Canadian since 1975 to do that. She'll meet American Sophia Kennan in the semis. Tonight's other uh, quarterfinal, Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka. A rematch of last year's U.S. Open. You remember... Serena had that big meltdown with the umpire. Osaka won that match, but Serena turned the tables tonight, winning at 6-3 and 6-4. Now in Montreal in the men's quarters, top seed Rafa Nadal against Italian Fabio Fanini. This is the point of the tournament. Look at the incredible work by Nadal to stay alive. Getting to everything. But eventually, Fanini puts it away with the drop shot, but Nadal would win the match in three sets to advance to the semis. Golf now, second round of the Northern Trust. First playoff tournament in the FedEx Cup. Tiger Woods withdrew today. Oblique strain. He'll try to play next week in the second playoff tournament. Jordan Spieth had a round today. 7-under 64, took the lead at 11-under, but this afternoon... Former world number one Dustin Johnson passed Spieth, this birdie part of the four under 67. Johnson at 12 under. Meanwhile, the Canadians, Roger Sloan and Adam Hadwin made the cut. Nick Taylor did not, so Taylor's season is done. He won't advance to the top 70 next week. Sloan has to finish top 10 this week to keep on the playoff trail. Semifinals of the Halinka U18 tournament in the Czech Republic, Canada, Sweden. Vancouver Giants head coach Michael Dick is the Team Canada head coach. Second period. Canada down one, but Cole Perfetti moves in on the breakaway, and that is a world-class move right there. He's ranked seventh in the draft for next year. It would go to a shootout, and it was Perfetti who had to score here to keep Canada alive. Another great move. Now, in international hockey, the same shooter can keep going once it gets to sudden death. So Perfetti one more time. Why not? He scored three goals in the shootout, two during the game. They win and advance to the final against Russia. So that's a name to... The Abbotsford International Air Show is this weekend, and today a special Burnaby teen who loves planes got a chance to soar high above the Fraser Valley. Global News was along for the ride, and Yusuf from Canuck Place Children's Hospice took a dream flight. Earning my, my wings here. I don't know what I'm doing. But I think you're in this plane right here. Oh, the one here or the one? The one right here. Okay. Here's your passenger, I believe. 
All right. How you doing? How are you? Doing fine. What's your name? Yusuf. Yusuf? Yeah. All right. All right. You got two leg straps, one on each side. That's it. Just like that. All right. Still a little nervous, but I'm excited. Yeah, these are North American AT6 Texans. This is a piece of history right here. All of these airplanes are veterans in the military. They all serve. This airplane right here is over 75 years old. It's been all over the world. A lot of history you're sitting in right here. Man, this, this is a pilot's dream. You really need to bring your kids out here, bring the whole family. You never know what's going to inspire. I've been flying long enough now that I've seen that spark many times and next thing you know they're airline pilots or they're flying in the military or they go on to do other things in aviation. It's really a neat deal. So how was it? Very nice. It was intense. When he flipped it, the G-Force got me pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing. A beautiful day. One of the best days I've been definitely remembered every day. I'll never forget it. A little Top Gun action there. Mm -hmm. Michael Newman and, and Yusuf flying mm -hmm. in formation. Good luck out there to all the pilots and uh, enjoy it for those of you who are going out there as well. Thanks to Barry. Mm -hmm. Thanks to all of you for watching. Hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you back here. Actually, I'm working Global National on Sunday, so we'll see you then.